everyone. I'm here with David Haight. David, welcome to the Ward family. And most of you probably know David as President Haight, as a member of our stake presidency. Um, today, we're just trying to get to know him a little bit uh, more as an individual, and so I'll refer to him to David, if that's okay. That's fine. So David, uh, where did life begin for you? Where did you uh, grow up? I was born in Redwood City, grew up in Menlo Park. We lived in a couple different houses, but mostly we lived on Cotton Street in Menlo Park, and uh, uh, it was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, we were very close to Stanford University, both my parents. Uh, had attended Stanford, um, and so um, it just sort of seemed very natural. We had uh, my grandparents, um, both sides of our family were in the area, that's where my parents met, and so uh, Menlo Park is really home. Got it. And as you were growing up in Menlo Park, are there certain memories or experiences that stand out for you? I grew up in the Menlo Park ward, which at the time was a huge ward. And we probably had, I want to say, at least 40 young men, probably about the same number of young women. And so I had lots of friends that were members of the church. And that was great. Um, away from the church, you know, I had a lot of friends at school. I was heavily involved with athletics. And so, you know, we played whatever sport was the season. So whether it was football season, we played football. Baseball season, we played baseball. It was just a wonderful place to grow up, and um, I developed some friendships um, both inside and out of the church that still exist uh, today. And as you were uh, growing up, you, you mentioned having friendships within the church, so I assume that you were pretty active in your ward. Did you find that faith came easily for you, or was it a struggle? What did that early kind of time period look like for you in terms of your church and faith development? Well, my faith was really initially dependent upon my parents and my grandparents. So my mom's grandfather, or my great-grandfather, was Albert E. Bowen. Uh, Bowen's my mother's maiden name. And Albert E. Bowen was an apostle of the church in the 30s, 40s, and then he died about 1953, before I was born. And um, so we had an apostle on that side of the family. And then obviously, most people know that my grandfather, David B. Hate the first, if you will, I'm David B. Hate the third, was an apostle. He was also the stake president of what was at the time called the Palo Alto Stake. The Palo Alto Stake extended from Burlingame down to San Jose. There wasn't a lot of population. There was more orchards than people uh, in this area at the time. And so growing up, I was exposed to a lot of church leaders, very prominent people. And because of my grandparents and then obviously my parents, I relied on them a lot for my faith and, and testimony. And as I got a little bit older, then it became more of a situation where I needed to develop my own faith. I had an experience when I was 11 years old. My grandfather, Bowen, had a very serious heart attack. And so we were very concerned about him. And I did what you do at, at age 11. You kneel down, you say a prayer, you know, Heavenly Father, please make Grandpa better. And then I went to bed. 
and my grandfather had a second heart attack during the night and passed away. And I was completely devastated at that point because I thought I had done everything that I was supposed to do. I wanted my grandfather to continue to live. I loved him. I loved going and spending time with him. And he was only 67 at the time when he passed away. And so um, it was very devastating for me that Heavenly Father did not answer my prayer the way I wanted. And that really shook my confidence and faith in the church and in the Lord for a while. And that probably went on for several years. You know, you, you would go to church, you would participate, but you kind of had some doubts or some questions. It wasn't really until I was about 18 that some of those things began to dissipate. I had some other experiences where I was praying and asking for things, and they happened. You know, and I saw little minor miracles, and okay, maybe... Heavenly Father does know who I am. He does know what I want. And obviously from maturing from, an, let's say, an 11-year-old to an 18-year-old, you understand a little bit more about how God works, and, and it's more than just what your teachers teach you in primary. And so as a result of those things, I began to develop faith, which eventually led me to you know, wanting to serve more in the church, eventually serving in a mission and so forth. And when you think about your parents and your grandparents, were there certain qualities or attributes that they had that you tried to emulate yourself or that you feel like you've tried to take forward in your life? A couple of things that, that I learned from my parents was the idea of service. And so situations would come up and my parents or my grandparents would maybe drop what they were doing and go and help somebody. Um, or they would do something for somebody that was well beyond the call of duty. It wasn't like they were assigned as a, a home teacher or a visiting teacher at the time. They would just go and do that because they cared for the person. They wanted to help the person. They wanted to demonstrate love. And so watching my parents serve others influenced me. It told me that they had faith and that they wanted to demonstrate to others Christ-like attributes. The challenge for me and for them became at times, well, what about us? You know, I was one of six children, and so we have stuff to do and stuff like that. And I was always amazed at how my parents were able to balance these things out. My grandparents, because, you know, the children were older, it was much easier for them to do it. But I always watched my mom, whether she was serving in, as a Relief Society president or, or some other assignment, my father as a, as a bishop or a bishop's counselor or, or something of that nature. It, it was very simple and easy for, for them to, at times, you know, pick up and go and, and deal with something that needed to be addressed immediately. And you mentioned serving a mission, but my guess is, is that you did something in between high school and then, did, so did you go to college? And if so, where did you go and what were you studying? I played a lot of sports in high school. And at the time, it was fairly easy to graduate from high school in less than four years. And so my junior year, I tore a ligament to my ankle quite badly in a game. And... Um, so I missed a lot of the season. And at that point, I began to kind of change my thinking about life a little bit. 
you know, I realized I wasn't going to be six foot ten, and I wasn't going to be in the NBA, and and so I needed to maybe find something else in life. Although sports was fun and was an important part of my life, um, I started to look around a little bit. So, come my senior year in high school, you know, I was on the varsity basketball team, and I stayed eligible just long enough through the season. And as soon as the season ended, you know, I went into the office at the school and submitted my paperwork to be graduated. So I did that on a Friday, and the following Monday, I started attending classes at Kenyatta Junior College in Redwood City. And so I graduated from high school in three and a half years. I went to Kenyatta for a semester, and then I had to decide what I wanted to do about college because both of my parents had attended Stanford. My youth, I got a job at Stanford. I worked in the electronics labs for three years when I was 16, 17, and 18. And so I had a lot of exposure to Stanford. But I needed to decide what my faith was going to be in life. And so I decided to go to BYU for a year and kind of try it out, if you will. So I did. And BYU was generous, and you know they gave me a scholarship. Not that it was very expensive tuition back in the day, but okay, great. When you're the oldest of six kids, and my dad looks at me and he goes, "Any money that I don't have to spend on on you, you know, let's let's do that." So I went to BYU for a year, and had some experiences there. Was around a lot of return missionaries, and I saw characteristics in them. I saw characteristics in some of the older youth that I grew up with in in the ward in Menlo Park that I wanted to emulate. And I wasn't quite sure how to do that or what to do and and so forth. And that's kind of why I ended up going to BYU. The plan was to go for a year, think about a mission, and then maybe transfer back to Stanford or something like that. Well, I got mononucleosis. I went on a mission. I came back. I had some incompletes that I needed to take care of because of my mono. And so I went back to BYU after my mission, and I ended up just staying there and eventually graduating from there. Got it. And what did you study at BYU? I studied business and emphasis in finance. And then where did you serve your mission? Chile. Okay. The Chile-Santiago North Mission. And my mission president, um, you'll appreciate this maybe, was Heber Avon Packard, who is the uncle of Von Packard in our stake. He was a wonderful mission president. It was a wonderful place to serve in Chile. We, we baptized like crazy down there. It, it was just the perfect place for me to go as a missionary. During the mission there, it sounds like you had some meaningful faith development experiences as you were growing up, and you know you described your experiences from 11 to you know a couple of years after that. But at, on your mission, as certain challenges came, came along or as you had you know interacting with investigators, how did you feel like your own faith continued to develop during that, that time period? My faith developed because I just saw the hand of the Lord in so many ways that I had not anticipated. We baptized a lot of people down there, more than 200, let's say. And, and so you would see people's lives change if they, they desired to um, follow the Lord. Uh, they had announced a temple in Santiago. And so they had the temple groundbreaking ceremony. We were there for that. President uh, Kimball came, and it was just horrible, horrible storm. It just rained and rained. I think it rained for three days straight. 
and everybody was very concerned about you know President Kimball being very elderly at the time and and his health and and so it was raining like cats and dogs they were kind of canceling some of the choir numbers and it was very very windy President Kimball gets up to do the the dedication and you know throw a little dirt with a shovel and it just stopped raining and he's up there for 15 minutes 20 minutes and he does his thing and he sits back down and then it rained for the next three days <laughs> and so I, I, I you know it, it sort of sounds like a trivial thing but you know it, to me it was just this is the Lord helping his servants do what they need to do and you know that's just one example of, of many but as you witness these things you know that your faith is strengthened I taught the Joseph Smith story probably 2,000 times on my mission and that was one of the things that I kind of struggled with pre-mission you know did he really okay it's a nice story he went in the woods and Heavenly Father and Jesus appeared to him but there were no witnesses you know it's Joseph's story and so you kind of I can accept it but do I really believe it and so as you study it a little bit more and as you pray about it and as you teach it more than 2,000 times um, you begin to really understand and appreciate that and that for me was a huge faith promoting uh, experience that occurred over time it just didn't happen instantaneously but it was built line upon line. After you got back from your mission, it sounds like you graduated from BYU, you finished up these classes that, uh, you know, from your earlier illness and stuff. What happened then? Did you move back to the Bay Area? Did you, did you stay in Utah? So again, I, I graduated from BYU in three and a half years. That was three and a half was kind of my number. I was able to get some credit for learning Spanish on my mission. I had some other classes and I just powered through. Had you know the financial aid was was in place. It was very inexpensive. It cost us a hundred bucks a month to to rent a room you know near campus, and so finances weren't a biggie. I wanted to get out of there as quickly as I could. There were a lot of things I did not like about BYU. You know, one of them was my name, David B. Hate the Third, and so they used to print these student directories and. They put your name in there and they put your phone number and your address and your hometown and probably your social security number at the time. And so periodically I would get people calling me just out of the blue. Is that really your name? You know, girls would call. Could we go to general conference together? And so, you know, my name became a little bit of a burden and I wanted to get out of there as quick as I could. Here in California, I can be David Haight. And everybody knows me for who I am. In Utah, it's David Haight, the grandson of you know one of the twelve apostles. And people come up to you and they'll have doctrinal questions. Hey, could you ask your grandfather about this or that? And so, you know, it's a little bit of a blessing, a little bit of a curse. I just wanted to get out of there, and that's why I graduated as quickly as I I could and get out of there and got out of there. And you know, I love to go visit Utah. But, uh, and now that it's been almost 18 years since my grandfather's passed away, there's almost a generation that doesn't know about him or isn't very familiar with him. And so it's a little bit easier now to just go to Utah and places like that and just be David Haight rather than David Haight, the grandson of one of the 12. I met a young woman 
when I was in Provo, uh, Jenny Taylor. You know, we dated for a little while. I graduated. She was changing her major every year and was nowhere close to graduating. Um, so I came back to California and I started, um, um, I graduated and then I came home and my brother and I were playing basketball in the backyard of our house and we're kind of competitive and I uh, accidentally stepped on his foot, tore ligaments in my ankle for the second time. Same ankle, same injury. Um, the first time um, it took me basically almost three years to really fully recover from that injury. The second time they were very uh, concerned about you know making sure it healed up correctly and so they put this immense cast on my foot and I had it for 14 weeks and so I, I graduated from BYU in December of 84, came home, tore ligaments within a week or so of getting home, didn't have a job and so I, I started kind of fiddling around. I went and had a few interviews but you're coming in on crutch. Those interviews didn't go real well. Well, I was sitting around with nothing to do. My dad asked me, you know, I said, why don't you go get a, your real estate license? And so I did. Went down, signed up for the pre-licensing classes, got my license in real estate. In the process, the real estate school had recruiters from some of the larger real estate companies that were coming by and, and they would say, hey, tell us who your best students are or something like that. So I got a call from a guy at Coldwell Banker and he said, can I meet with you? And I did, and so he eventually offered me a, a position with Caldwell Banker. And I started uh, working for Coldwell Banker at that time. Coldwell Banker was owned by Sears, and Sears had this grand idea that you could do your shopping at Sears. You, they had a savings bank. They had, um, you know, they sell lawnmowers and washers and dryers and refrigerators, and, and so. We were able at the time to do both residential and commercial real estate. Eventually, a couple years down the road after working for Caldwell Banker, the company split. And so they came to us and they said, okay, well, you can either work on the residential side or the commercial side, but you, you can't do both, you can't compete. And I said, I have a third option. How about if I leave the company? And my father, who had been working in real estate for a number of years, had a couple of projects that he was working on. He said. I could really use some help. Come work with me for six months. And so I did. And six months turned into about 32 years <laughs> that we ended up working together. And so I transitioned from, you know, a real estate jack of all trade, doing residential, doing commercial, to strictly doing commercial. Worked for and with my dad for, you know, more than 30 years um, doing commercial and investment real estate, which is what I still do now. Uh, we buy and sell uh, investment properties uh, for ourselves. We do some brokerage, um, and so that's what I've been doing since then. What's it been like working with your dad? Does that make it kind of tricky, you know, in terms of mixing work and family stuff, or has it been okay? No, it was absolutely wonderful. You know, to have the opportunity to spend that much time with your dad and to go have lunch with your dad you know, all the time, which which was fantastic. And as my father got older and he sort of slid into retirement or semi-retirement, you know, in real estate, you never really have to retire. And 
So, you know, coming down to the office for him was just, you know, an excuse to get out of the house. And then the highlight of his day was going to lunch with me. So we would do that two, three, four, you know, maybe even five times a week. And so he enjoyed doing that, just spending time together. And so, you know, did we have our disagreements on things? Yeah, from time to time. But, you know, those were business things. We walked out the door and, you know, we left business in, in the office and, you know, then we were family once we were outside of the office. And you mentioned meeting a young lady at BYU, and it sounds like it took her a little bit of time just to complete all of her coursework and stuff. I guess in the meantime, you were here in California, so how did that part of the story progress? When I met her, I was a return missionary, and she was an 18-year-old freshman who had been on campus for probably about six weeks. We met through a mutual friend. There was a girl that uh, I had dated a little bit off and on, and she wanted to find out if I was still interested in her. And so through a series of friends, Jenny was asked to, you know, kind of run into me, if you will, and find out what I thought of this other girl. And so she wasn't very smooth, and I could sort of see something was going on, but I couldn't quite figure out what it was. So we ended up going to a concert. We both had Music 101. It was a music appreciation class. It was, you know, my last general ed class, and I had postponed as much as I possibly could. And we had to go to these concerts. And so you go to these concerts, you have to be quiet. You can't talk to the other person. You can't get to know them. And so we go to this concert. And it's the world's longest concert. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. And then they get to the intermission after an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm just dying. And I promised my roommates I would come pick them up because I had a car. And um, they were playing an intramural football game. And this thing was just going on and on. And I said to her, I said, look, I, I really got to get out of here. I got to go get my roommates. So we bailed at intermission. Right as we're walking out the door of intermission, one of my roommates from my freshman year saw me and came up to me and he handed me a flyer. He said, I'm doing my senior recital next week. He was a music student. He said, please come and bring your friend. And I said, okay, whatever, <laughs> you know. And so I waited till the last minute, a week later, and I called her up and I said, hey, and I kind of felt a little bit of an obligation because he had sort of invited her to come. And I said, hey, do you want to go to this concert? And so we went to the concert, and afterwards, you know, I'd never really spoken to her at all in the two times we'd been together. I said, let's go find something to eat, and, you know, we'll sit and talk. So we went to Marie Callender's up in Orem and had some pie, and I got to kind of meet her and really talk to her for the first time and find out about her background. And, and then I think the next event we went to, we went to a Utah Jazz basketball game. I think they were playing the Lakers. Magic Johnson uh, was playing, and so, and my wife was very much into basketball. She, um, I played in the state championship game for the state of Washington, and, and so basketball was a sort of an instant connection between the two of us. We dated for about two and a half years. Eventually, got married. My grandfather did the, the marriage. We got married in Salt Lake Temple. Um, so it was a slow process. She needed to kiss a few frogs after I left Provo um, to kind of find out that I was the right one for her. I kind of knew early on that she was the right one for me, but it kind of took her a little while to, to kind of warm up to me, I guess. And so now we've fast forward a number of years, and how many kids do you have? Any grandkids at this point? Uh, I have four children. My two oldest 
uh, are not married. They've never been married. My two youngest both got married in 2019. Don't have any grandchildren. Both my younger kids are, they're married, but uh, they're both doing graduate school right now. My daughter, Courtney, uh, is living in Puerto Rico, and she's uh, attending the San Juan Batista School of Medicine. Um, she wants to become a physician's assistant. And she served a Spanish-speaking mission and wanted to do something very different, which has always been her M.O. And so she and her husband live in Puerto Rico, and she goes to school, and he works, and they're getting by. My, my youngest son, Jordan, lives in Arizona, and uh, he's going to Wichita State University doing a master's program in human resource management. He's doing it online. And I know that you've served in a number of different capacities within the church as time has gone on. and. So as you reflect upon your church service, are there any either principles or things that you've taken away from that um, that you might share with us? I've been an elders quorum president twice. I've served in four different bishoprics. I've been a Spanish-speaking branch president and a Spanish-speaking bishop. I've served in the California San Jose Mission Presidency. Obviously now I'm serving in the stake presidency. And there's a whole lot of other callings that I've done as well. From my standpoint, a lot of my church service has been on sort of the um, administrative side of things. But you can minister and administer. And I've really appreciated those opportunities that have come to me when I've had the chance to work with individuals one-on-one my favorite thing is to work with individuals. You know, I, I, I don't love getting up in front of great big crowds. And, um, yeah, I can get up and, and, and say stuff and do stuff. But uh, I just really appreciate working with individuals. And that's where you'd see people change their lives. And you see people develop testimonies. You see people uh, understand what it means to repent and how the atonement works in their lives. Um, and from that standpoint... Um, just seeing people change their lives has really been something that has brought a lot of joy and happiness to my own life. You can talk to people and it can go in one ear and right out the other, but it's, it's doing the action part. It's really putting the principles um, of the church into action that has really helped me to gain an appreciation for what the church is all about. You know, it's not just reading the scriptures and closing the books and, you know, saying your prayers and going to bed at night. It's really, it's getting out there and doing things. It's helping others. It's being an example, letting your light shine, talking to people on the street, people you come in contact with. And that's really what, it, what it's come down to for me. Um, it's been much more of a, a service-oriented you know, I've never been a gospel doctrine teacher. I've never taught in the primary. Um, I'd love to do those things at some point, but for whatever reason, I've sort of always been in in leadership, uh, uh, administrative side of things, with obviously a very strong conspir- uh, spiritual component to that. And so, uh, David, I really appreciate this opportunity to just get to know you a little bit better and. Uh, I'll just say for anyone in the stake, uh, whether they're in the Cuesta Park Ward or otherwise, if you have a question about something or if you have some type of need, I know that you know all of my experiences with President Haight have just been 
a wonderful experience. And so uh, hopefully you will uh, come say hi and introduce yourself to him. And if he can uh, minister in addition to administer within his calling, I know he's always uh, happy to do that. So um, thank you again for being a part of this.